Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Katy Perry's hit song, Dark Horse, was everywhere a few years back, peaking at number one on the Billboard streaming charts in January of 2014. But for St. Louis-based gospel rapper Flame, the song wasn't just an earworm, it was a ripoff. Believing Perry and her collaborators had blatantly stolen from his song, Joyful Noise, he sued them for copyright infringement. Last month, he won a $2.8 million jury verdict. Joining me in studio to talk about this case is Mike Kahn, senior counsel at Cape Sokol Law Firm in Clayton, and adjunct professor at Washington University School of Law, who won the verdict on Flame's behalf. We're also joined by Micah Zeller, head of scholarly communication for Washington University's library and a copyright expert. Mike, Micah, welcome to the program. Thanks Thank for you. having me. Mike, first, congratulations to you. Thank can, you. Can you give us a brief overview of what your client's case here was? Sure. So there is a term that I didn't know um, in the music world called an ostinato, which I got to know over the last five years quite well. An ostinato is a repeating refrain, usually eight to ten notes, um, usually two measures. It repeats over and over and over again uh, throughout the song. And those who have heard Joyful Noise, um, which was the um, Christian gospel hip-hop song, that was at issue here, that is this ostinato that repeats. And my client, who, uh, Flame, Marcus Gray, uh, this was back in 2008, the song was released. It was the number one hit for them. It was a Grammy-nominated song. Um, and he's performing around the country. And in 2013, he has fans coming up to him at these concerts asking him if he sold the rights to a song to Katy Perry. He even had a couple of bookers in churches who would be booking concerts who were very concerned because they felt that this Dark Horse song was the antithesis to a Christian gospel song, and they were concerned about even booking him. He didn't even know what the song was, hmm. and he went online and he listened to it, and he was surprised and hurt. Because he saw clear similarities there. Yeah, and... You know, as I explained to the jury in the opening statement, this is a case about taking something valuable without permission. And that's what copyright infringement is, is all about. So the case was filed five years ago here in St. Louis. It was transferred to California. It was a long and arduous slog for my three clients, not just Marcus Gray, but the other two writers. Um, and they were seeking justice from a jury of their peers and were pleased that they got it. They ended up being victorious there in a big way. Yes. Let's, um, for our listeners, let's show them how these two songs sound. We're just going to play the beginning here. Um, let's start with playing the beginning of Dark Horse. This is Katy Perry. Yeah, y'all know what it is. Katy Perry. Juicy J. Uh-huh. Let's rage. Here you were, you were gonna come to me. Here you are, but you better choose carefully. Cause I, I'm capable of anything, of anything, and everything. That was Katy Perry's Dark Horse, which was released in 2013. Now let's listen to Joyful Noise, which St. Louis rapper Flame released in 2008.
You know what it is. I love it. Uh. Let's talk about it. Your boy's been a Christian quite a few years. Victory and faith, but I failed in my fears. And that was St. Louis artist Flame, which has saw with his song Joyful Noise, which predated Katy Perry's hit there. I gotta say, as somebody who doesn't know much about music at all, these two do sound a lot alike. Uh, Micah, is that enough for a lawsuit? Certainly in this case. Um, <laughs> That's true. The proof was, is in the pudding. The focus, um, again, was on this portion of the musical backing track. Um, the, you know, this descending ostinato figure that you hear throughout Joyful Noise and then in the verses of Dark Horse. Now, not all musical elements are copyrightable and not all copying is infringement. And so there are a number of specific things that you must prove in order to prevail in a case like this. And so an important first question is whether this specific combination of musical elements is protectable. Um, you know, music consists of lyrics, rhythm, pitch, cadence, melody, harmony, um, a number of different elements. So does this specific combination, as in Flame's Joyful Noise, give rise um, to being protected? Once that's been established, then you're looking at whether the defendants had access to the material. So um, there were questions on whether Joyful Noise was broadly disseminated, whether the defendants had um, the reasonable opportunity to have, um, to have actually heard the track. Once that's established, then you move on to decide whether the two portions at issue are substantially similar. And that's also a very difficult question. Um, these are hard questions for the jury to answer. Um, with that, you're looking at a lot of testimony from different experts where they're doing an analytical dissection of those elements and so saying what's common in both the tracks, what's not in common in both of the tracks. And then you move on to um, a more subjective inquiry where from the perspective um, of you know, an, um, a reasonable listener, are, they, um, are the two works uh, substantially similar? Here's a brief statement on the matter from Perry's lead attorney, Christine LaPera, on behalf of the Dark Horse writing and production team. Quote, the writers of Dark Horse view the verdicts as a travesty of justice. There is no infringement. There was no access of substantial similarity. The only thing in common is an unprotectable expression, evenly spaced C and B notes repeated. People, including musicologists from all over the world, are expressing their dismay at this. Mike, I see you smiling. I'm sure that's not the first time you've heard that lawyer make that argument. Uh, what's your response to that? Yeah, I mean, she says it's a travesty, travesty of justice. I would correct that. I think it's a triumph of justice. She may talk about these so-called musicologists around the world, her musicologist, who had a huge music library, was unable to come up with a similar ostinato. Um, he found six notes that he told the jury were the same, and his example was a song called Jolly Old St. Nick and a second song called Merrily We, we Go Along, which is the same um, melody as Mary Had a Little Lamb. In closing arguments, since he didn't play either one for the jury, I said, you know, ladies and gentlemen, let me play you these two allegedly substantially similar songs, and I will tell you the jury was laughing as they listened to the two of them. Um, because they don't sound like Dark Horse. No, they're nothing like Dark Horse. Uh, you know, the music industry 
has been issuing doomsday predictions um, for as far back as the invention of the player piano. This is before phonographs and records, and the music industry made all their money from, um, you know, selling, uh, you know, notated things people could play on the piano. They've been issuing, you know, when the blurred lines came down, they issued all these doomsday predictions. We've been hearing these forever. The music industry, Katy Perry and the rest of them are doing just fine. And uh, we look forward. I'm, as I explained to my clients, this is only round 10 in a 12 or 15 round boxing match. I'm sure they will file all kind of post-trial motions and take appeals. But they had nine members of the jury listen to the two songs and concluded that they were substantially similar. And they listened to our musicologist, who's Professor Todd Decker, head of the music department at Washington University, and they clearly believed him. So You guys each had an expert, and yes. your expert is saying, these two are really similar. Oh, yeah, and he went through not just the music notes, but he went through six other factors, the timbre, the um, tone, the, as Micah mentioned, the fact that this is a, a descending ostinato in a minor key, which is very unusual. Um, and, you know, frankly, there are lots of eight-note ostinatos or harmonies that um, are very simple and very recognizable. And the, in my closing argument, I sang the beginning of Beethoven's Fifth. This sounds like for quite the, a closing argument. Yeah, for the jury, that's eight notes. It's maybe the most distinctive eight notes in all of music, and it couldn't be simpler. So... And you're saying if if that is something that should be protected, why not your clients? Yeah. Oh, I use uh, the before they objected. I use the example of the eight note re- repeating refrain in the Rolling Stones Satisfaction, which is if you look at it transcribed into notes, is simpler than the one in Dark Horse or the one in um, in Joyful Noise, and yet it's immediately recognizable. Yeah. So eight notes is a big deal here. Yeah. Micah, it does feel to me, just as a layman, that there has been an increase in these kind of cases lately. Maybe it's just that there's an increase of of them being covered in the news. But um, with, for example, the Blurred Line case, that resulted in a $5.3 million jury verdict. Are we seeing an escalation after that case came down? I think it's hard to say. Again, I'd be hesitant to draw any broad conclusions from the outcomes of a few cases. Um, As Mike can attest, it's not cheap to file these suits. And, um, you know, there aren't that many songs that gross $40 million um, as Dark Horse uh, did here. And so I worry more about uh, chilling the creativity of the artists and composers who don't have the clout and power um, of artists like Katy Perry. Um, For difficult questions like this, I think it can be helpful to ask what's the fundamental purpose of copyright law to begin with? And again, we're trying to balance the rights of creators with the rights of the public. And the public, again, is who the law is ultimately intended to benefit. And so striking that balance is an area of robust debate. And cases like this do raise the question of, you know, do we want to give people the power to exclude others from using, you know, parts of our relatively narrow music vocabulary? 
that was Micah Zeller of Washington University Libraries. We're also talking to Mike Kahn, an attorney at Cape Sokol in Clayton, who recently won a big jury verdict against Katy Perry. We've got a question from one of our listeners for Mike. Um, Simon writes, how large was the Cape Sokol team, and who were the team members that worked on this case, and how large was the opposing side? I wonder if Simon works at your law firm. <laughs> I don't think so. No. Yeah, I mean, we we referred, you know, pulling on our client's Christian gospel background to the David versus Goliath nature of this case for them versus all these defendants. There were three of us um, from Cape Sokol on the, on the team, and there were probably 10 to 12 lawyers on the other side from two very large law firms. Um, and they got this move to their home turf. You were right. there in Los Angeles. You guys must have had a considerable outlay to keep this case alive and to go all the way to trial. Were, were you surprised that they didn't settle this thing, or did they try to settle this thing? You know, there, towards the very end, there were settlement discussions. Um, y- you know, there's there's an old joke when you say this is a, this is not about money; it's about principle. It's really about money. But for our clients, it was really about principle. They almost didn't care about the money part of it. Really, they felt that they'd been. They'd been mistreated, and they wanted their day in court. And I even told them, I said, you know, we can settle this case um, if you'd like. Um, you know, you won't get that much, but you'll, you'll, you'll break you'll even. You'll get a payday, yeah. And uh, they said, no, you know what? We, we want to go in, f- in front of a jury. We want a jury to hear our case. We don't care about the money. Uh, and so it was, it was an unusual David versus Goliath battle here. That is very unusual. I know part of the lawsuit was that Perry's song irreparably tarnished Flame's Christian message through its use of satanic imagery. Was that a big part of why he was willing to fight this? You know, I think it was, although the the defendants were adamant to get that portion um, excluded from the jury. Were they successful in and that? Yeah, oh. they were. I mean, this was a this was a copyright case, so you're allowed to seek damages. Um, but there was a dispute, and the judge eventually ruled that that portion should be excluded. And I, you know, it it was out there more in the music video, which was very controversial. There was uh, uh, there was a, a big protest by um, a lot of uh, people from you know the Muslim religion because there were some symbols there where this character in the music video gets blown up. <laughs> by Katy Perry, and he happened to have an Allah symbol around his neck. Um, but ultimately, for our clients, the issue was more this was something that they created, and somebody should have talked to them to get their permission before they used it. Micah, any sense of, um, since this obviously will be appealed by Katie and her team, what might end up being at issue on appeal here, or, or what the, the judges there might care about that maybe weren't as much in play at trial? I think Mike might be better positioned um, speak to the disposition of the judge in this case and the disposition of the defendants. Again, I do commend him for um, for his work on this case. They faced a very well-funded and a highly motivated uh, defense, and so this was an uphill battle, and they secured a terrific outcome for their clients. Um, there's still a motion pending before this court, I, I believe, um, of whether you know a reasonable jury could have found this as a verdict based on the evidence presented. And again, these present really hard questions for juries. Um, the tests can be confusing, and you know, juries are made up of people, and so they're meant to resolve questions impartially, but we all have sympathies. And so um, 
I can't predict how this will proceed, um, but I, I think it's difficult to second guess um, the decision of a jury if you're not there um, to actually view and to evaluate all the evidence that is presented. Mike, what do you think is going to be the hardest thing to, to retain on appeal? Well, I think the focus will be, as I say, there's always doomsday predictions. And there certainly have been with this case. And the doomsday prediction that I think they will press the hardest is what Mike had mentioned, which is the issue of access. In order to prove infringement, you have to prove copying. Mm -hmm. and in order to prove copying, since you never have direct evidence, you never have a defendant said, oh, I'm sorry, I did copy it. You, you do it through circumstantial evidence, and it's two parts. One is the thing Micah mentioned, which is, are these substantially similar? But you can independently create something that's substantially similar. So the other issue is, did the defendants have access to this song before they created theirs? And we tried to prove access in different ways. There were, the song was nominated for a Grammy, at the time that Dr. Luke, who is the main producer and who's always bragged, he's, he's been sued for infringement but never found guilty. He's not going to be able to make that brag anymore. Nice. <laughs> um, so, but then we had the evidence that there were, between YouTube and MySpace, there were over 6 million views. They argue, and this is part of the doomsday prediction, that 6 million views is nothing. There are hundreds of millions of views out there. This is nothing. We tried to explain to the jury, look, six million is actually more than the population of the city of, of Los Angeles. It's a lot of people. But I think that's going to be an argument they're going to try to make, saying, oh, my goodness, now everybody who gets more than 100 views is going to be accessed. But we'll see. But six million views, that's a lot more than 100. Did it come up at all that, that Katie herself used to be in this gospel scene and that's where your client is, is doing his work? Yeah, we, you know, they were very careful. We mentioned that to her. We got her to admit that on stage that her first album, when she was known as Katie Hudson, um, was actually a Christian gospel album. Um, and she said that she stopped being Christian and stopped doing that work in 2002. And she didn't listen to that music anymore. Um, so we didn't make a big deal out of it. I, th You know, she was telling the truth. But it was a fact that, ironically, she comes out of a Christian gospel background herself. And now has gone in this very occult direction with her song to the horror of your clients. Right. Mike, just one last question. I know you've had a couple of other really high-profile cases. You seem to get all the local cases that have a celebrity connection. Can you tell our viewers just a couple of them that yeah, you've been it's, involved with? Yeah, it's not something that I've ever sought out. So I... Hmm. I, I get called out of the blue one day by this tattoo artist, Victor Whitmill, who's very upset because he went to see or he saw an ad for Hangover 2, and the tattoo that he put on Mike Tyson's face shows up on the face of another person. So we ended up, and it was a copyright dispute, and we filed a lawsuit for that, and we got a very nice settlement for Victor. He's no longer a tattoo artist. Wow. And I, when I was a young lawyer in Chicago, we we represented Michael Jackson in a copyright case, and Judge Marvin Aspen was the judge. We thought it was really nice. He said, I know that Mr. Jackson is all this, you know, craziness with the press. I've arranged for the marshals to bring him up to my chambers through the, uh, the back area. We thought, what a nice thing to do. And, of course, he was led into the judge's chambers where his two teenage daughters were waiting for him and got to spend a full 45 minutes all alone um, with with Michael Jackson. But... Yeah, you know, the, most of the cases don't involve um, people like that. I, but, you know, sometimes you get them. 
That was Mike Kahn, uh, lawyer to the stars and also senior counsel at Cape Sokol Law Firm, and Micah Zeller of Washington University Libraries. Thank you both for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you.